is what we know so far. Elvira has been remanded to Holloway Prison. Upon hearing this, Elvira passed out on the dock in front of the judge and several onlookers. Much is unknown about Elvira's time in Holloway. However, we do have a letter written by the governor of Holloway Prison. He was John Hall Morton. The letter begins, June 29th, 1932. Central Criminal Court. Sir, I beg to state that the above named has been under mental and physical observation since her reception on June 4th. I have already submitted a report on June 8th, giving a list of abrasions and bruises, which I found on the prisoner after her reception to prison. She is in good health, has not shown any signs of physical illness, she has slept well, shown no symptoms of drug taking, and has increased one and a half pounds in weight since her reception. Her past history. She has had good health, but has had to undergo an operation for middle ear disease, and she met with a serious accident some 12 months ago in which she broke her lower jaw and has since required special treatment for her teeth. Her mental state. I have examined her on various occasions. She has always conversed rationally, shown no signs of delusions or hallucinations, and her conduct has been normal except on one or two occasions when she has shown hysterical manifestations. I am of the opinion that she is of sound mind and fit to plead the indictment. I have the honor to be Sir, your obedient servant, John Hall Morton, Governor and Medical Examiner. John Hall Morton was in charge of Holloway Prison from 1921 until 1935 when he died at the age of 52. He was by the standards of the time an enlightened governor, famously installing mirrors in the cells. Much to the delight of female inmates and angry mutterings from the usual press sources. He was also an opponent of the capital punishment. This stance was highly unusual in his service and had come after he had been required to record the horrific state of Edith Thompson's corpse after she was executed in Holloway in 1923. On July 1st, 1932, Mr. Justice Humphreys has fixed the trial of Mrs. Elvira Dolores Barney, who is charged with the murder of Thomas William Scott Stephen to open at the Old Bailey on Monday. The trial begins. This is from the Daily Herald, London, England, July 4th, 1932, page one. Cue for Barney trial turned away. Eight hours wait, then told to go home. A queue which began to form outside the Old Bailey early yesterday evening for the trial of Mrs. Elvira Dolores Barney, who is charged with the murder of Mr. Thomas William Scott Stephen, was turned away by the police just before midnight. The 45 men and women who had waited were told to return this morning. They had been outside the court for eight hours. Only 36 seats for the trial, which begins today, have been allotted to the general public. Applications for admission have arrived from many parts of Europe and the United States. The case which will be heard by Mr. Justice Humphreys is expected to last several days. Sir Percival Clark and Mr. L. A. Byrne 
will appear for the prosecution, and Sir Patrick Hastings, KC, Mr. Walter Frampton, and Mr. Maurice Alexander will defend Mrs. Barney. Mrs. Barney is the daughter of Sir John Mullins, the former government stockbroker, and her parents may be among the witnesses. Sir Bernard Spilsbury, the pathologist, is one of the most important witnesses prosecution. Mr. Stephen was found shot dead at Mrs. Barney's flat at William Mews Nightbridge on May 31st. Mrs. Barney is also charged with shooting at Stephen on May 19th with intent. She will be brought from Holloway Prison early today to avoid the crowd. Newspaper 2 is from the Evening Standard, London, England, July 4th, 1932. Mrs. Barney collapses in the dock during Old Bailey trial. Amazing crowd scene. Police swept away in wild fight. Dramatic new story of a quarrel. There were dramatic scenes at the Old Bailey today during the trial of Mrs. Elvira Dolores Barney, charged with the murder of Thomas William Scott Michael Stephen. When the trial had been in progress some hours, Mrs. Barney collapsed in the dock. A wardress caught her as she swayed forward in her chair, and she was given restorative. Mrs. Barney drove to the court in a Metropolitan Police van from Holloway Prison, where she had been awaiting trial. Her parents, Sir John and Lady Mullins, arrived by car from their home in Belgrave Square. Before the trial began, parents and daughter met for a few minutes in a little room below the court. And as they talked, a tremendous scuffle was going on outside between the police and hundreds of men and women who had waited for hours to be present at what was expected to be the most sensational trial of the century. Police were swept away in the fight to get into the court. Mrs. Barney is 27. Her father, Sir John Mullins, was formerly a government broker and one of the best known men in the city. She is a sister of Princess George Imerensky. Mrs. Barney was only indicted on the capital charge. The second charge of shooting at Mr. Stephen with intent to do grievous bodily harm was not read. On the charge of murder, she pleaded not guilty. For hours last evening, people had begun to collect and form a queue outside the court. At midnight, they were dispersed by the police and told not to return until 9 a.m. today. But by 8 o'clock today, there were 500 people there. Some had slept all night in shop doors. Many were men who had hoped to get a good position in the queue and sell it to latecomers. Meanwhile, a queue was being formed of the privileged people who held a ticket. They were all well-dressed men and women who drove up in private cars or taxicabs. Women in delicate summer frocks sat on the stone steps of the Old Bailey until the gates opened. At five minutes to 10, the order was given to allow the public queue to form. Immediately, there was a tremendous rush. Three or four policemen on duty immediately outside the gallery entrance were swept away before the rush. Reinforcements were rushed up from down the street and for a few minutes, there was a tremendous scuffle in which one constable was knocked down as the police officers tried to drive their way through the crowd to the doorway of the Old Bailey. In the end, however, the police reduced struggle, the struggling crowd to order. Among many well-known people in the corridor of the court who saw admission to the trial 
were Ms. Marie Tempest, Ms. Marie Lore, and Mr. George Arliss. Within the court was crowded, and there was tense silence as Mrs. Barney appeared, attended by two wardresses. She was plainly dressed in black. She was plainly dressed in black. She was plainly dressed in black. Fair curls showed beneath her close-fitting black cap. She was a little tremulous, but her not guilty when she was called onto the plead was uttered in clear, firm tones, audible to everyone in court. Then, after a glance round and a strange smile at her parents, we had places behind counsel. She sat down. The case for the Crown was opened by Sir Percival Clark, whose speech lasted precisely an hour. An incident early in the hearing was an outburst of talking in court when a witness was being called. Mr. Justice Humphreys warned the public sternly that unless it ceased, he would have the court cleared. During the evidence of Dr. Durant, Barney broke down and wept silently for several minutes. As the doctor told how she kissed passionately Mr. Stevens' dead body, exclaiming, I loved him so, and threatening to kill herself. Dr. Durant related a dramatic news story of an alleged quarrel between Mr. Barney, between Mrs. Barney and Mr. S Stephen. He said Mrs. Barney told him the quarrel was about another woman and that after they had gone to bed, Mr. Stephen threatened to go to the other woman. Mrs. Barney said the doctor told him that Mr. Stephen got up and dressed and that she then said, if you go, you know what I shall do. Two women are serving on the jury. The trial was adjourned until tomorrow. The evening standard, July 4th, 1932, page two. Case for prosecution against Mrs. Barney. Counsel tells of cocktail party and of telephone call to doctor. Mrs. Elvira Dolores Barney wore all black as she faced her trial on charge of murder at the Old Bailey today. At the police court hearings, she had a sprig of white heather in her buttonhole. Today, she wore no flower. Mrs. Barney is accused of the murder by shooting of Thomas William Scott, Michael Stephen, at her flat in Williams Nightbridge on the night of May 30th. There is another charge of maliciously shooting at Mr. Stephen with intent to do grievous bodily harm on May 19th. Mr. Stephen was the son of Mr. T.M. Stephen of Doubleton House, Penhurst, Kent, a London bank manager. He was 26 and had worked as a dress designer. Mrs. Barney had been brought to court from Holloway Prison in a prison van. Before the trial started, she had an interview with her parents, Sir John and Lady Mullins, in a little room below the court. Sweet herbs in the dock. Counsel R. For the Crown, Sir Percival Clark, Senior Treasury Counsel, and Mr. L. A. Byrne. For the defense, Sir Patrick Hastings, KC. Mr. Walter Frampton, 
and Mr. Maurice Alexander. Mr. H. Cecil Leon held a watching brief for the Blue Angel Club, and Mr. R.T. Bernard also held a watching brief. Mr. Justice Humphreys is trying the case also. Mr. Justice Humphreys is trying the case. Mr. Samuel Coleman, Mrs. Barney's solicitor, also arrived. And before the case started, he had a short consultation with his client. After the interview with their daughter, Sir John and Lady Mullins walked into the court and sat immediately behind counsel. Lady Mullins wore a black silk dress and black hat, both relieved with white trimmings. Princess Imerensky sat with her parents. Detective Inspector Winter then arrived. In accordance with the old custom, sweet herbs were sprinkled on the bench and, and on the board rail in front of the desk. For the first time in history of the Old Bailey, there was a distinguished strangers gallery. Only half of the seats accommodated, accommodating 36 people were allotted to the general public, the remaining 18 being reserved by the sheriffs for special visitors. At 11 o'clock, the usher called silence. Nothing could be heard but the rustle of Mr. Justice Humphrey's robes of scarlet and ermine, and he came through the door and took his seat beneath the sword of justice. In accordance with tradition, he carried a nosegay of flowers. He was accompanied by the rogues, sheriffs, and judges from other courts. Sir Patrick Hastings entered the court, and behind him was Sir Percival Clark. The court was packed and tense when the clerk called loudly, Elvira Dolores Barney. Mrs. Barney appeared. She seemed to tremble a little as she stepped to the front of the dock. Two wardresses in blue accompanied her. She remained standing while the clerk read out the charge of willful, of willful murder. Do you plead guilty or not guilty? He asked. In a voice which could be heard throughout the whole court, she answered, not guilty. The second charge of shooting at Mr. Stephen with intent to do grievous bodily harm was not read at this stage. Sir Percival Clark rose to open the case for the Crown. Mrs. Barney, he said, was a young woman of about 26 or 27 years of age, the wife of a man named John Barney, whom she married nearly three years ago, and who, according to her story, left her a little more than two and a half years ago. She had been living the past 18 months in the premise known as William Muse, an extra vacantly furnished converted flat on two floors. On the ground floor, there was a lounge and sitting room, at the end of which was a cocktail bar. On the first floor, there was a bedroom and another room in which was a chair and bath. The man Stephen passed the name of Michael Stephen. He was a little younger than Mrs. Barney, about 25, a young man of no occupation. So far as I know, when he did have any, it was that of a dress designer. You will bear in the course of this case the sort of way he passed his time in 
the early morning hours of Tuesday, May 31st, a shot rang out in the upper part of the premises. Michael Steven died. The only person on the premises at the time were Mrs. Barney and himself. The question to which you will direct your attention is this. Was it Mrs. Barney who caused his death? If it were, then she is guilty of the crime of murder, unless she did it in, a, in such a circumstance as would reduce that crime to a degree or justify or excuse. On the other hand, if she did not cause his death, you would find her not guilty of the offense charged against her. The judge will direct you about the law, but on the other hand, if she did not cause the death, you would find her not guilty of offense charged against her. The judge will direct you about the law, but it is the duty of the prosecution in this, as in all cases, to satisfy you that she caused his death. If she did, malice is presumed and murder committed, unless the contrary be shown, the cocktail party. Now on the night of Monday, May 30th, there was a cocktail party at these premises and Stephen served the cocktails. A large number of persons attended that party, between 25 and 35, and from about seven until about nine or 10, until about nine or 10, the cocktail party continued. After the guests had gone, anywhere about 10.30, Mrs. Barney and Michael Stephen left, going to dine at the Cafe de Paris in Coventry Street. There, they were joined by Arthur Tilden Jeffries, a person who had known Mrs. Barney for some five years. He had also known Stephen slightly, but for a much shorter period. After they had arrived at the cafe about 11.30, the three went on to the Blue Angel Club on Dean Street, Soho, they, where they joined a person who played a piano there, Michael Wade, who had been one of the cocktail party earlier in the evening. There, they stayed until 12.30 or 1 o'clock in the morning. Then, they left, and from the time of their leaving until immediately before the shooting was heard, they were apparently together and alone, and alone at William's Mew. Between 4 and 4.30 in the morning, screaming and shouting were heard coming from the first floor of Mrs. Barney's premises. Get out! Get out! It was undoubtedly a quarrel between the two persons who were there, and Mrs. Barney was heard saying to him to get out of the house at once. She was saying, get out, get out, I will shoot you, I will shoot you. Stephen answered, I am going, and immediately there followed the loud report of a pistol. The next thing heard was in his voice, good God, what have you done? And then from her, chicken, chicken, come back to me. I will do everything you want me to. It was too late. The fatal shot had been fired. You will hear that within the space of about 10 minutes, he must have died. There was quiet for nearly quarter of an hour. And then she was heard to call, Michael, Michael. 
the name she used to call him by, and then it was quiet again until the doctor arrived. By that time, Michael was dead. He died from the effect of a bullet wound through the left upper part of his lung. There had, of course, been some communication with a doctor. Mrs. Barney had apparently rung on the telephone to Dr. Durant, who practices in Westbourne Grove, Paddington. For about 20 minutes to 5 in the morning, his telephone bell rang. He had known Mrs. Bar Barney for a number of years. By the time the answer was made, the caller had gone. Then, between three and four minutes to five, the bell rang again, and this time, the doctor answered it. Mrs. Barney spoke, calling him at once to the news and saying there had been a dreadful accident and that a man or a gentleman, he is not quite sure on this point, had shot himself. The doctor said he would come at once and began to dress, and at eight minutes past five, before he had left, the bell rang again, and the distraught voice of the prisoner called, Why haven't you come? Why aren't you here? Come at once! Jump into a taxi! He is bleeding! Come at once! Jury to see photograph. The doctor said he was coming at once, collected his requisites, and at 5.15 started in his car. On arriving there, Mrs. Barney met him at the door and he will tell you, he will tell you her condition was one of hysteria. He put his baggage in the lounge on the ground floor and went upstairs, followed by Mrs. Barney. Here on the landing at the top, he saw the dead man lying, reclining backwards on his left side against the wall with his feet extended down the stairs, one straight and the other flexed. Sir Percival said that a photograph would be shown to the jury. The dead man was fully dressed. Dr. Durant noticed a left armed, the left arm man was extended across the landing. The last three fingers on the left hand were and the other finger and thumb straight. Said the hand and at the back was a revolver, which will be shown to you, which will be a piece of evidence in the course of this case. His head was resting on pillows, which doubtless Mrs. Barney had brought from the bed, and a towel had been pushed down inside his clothes to staunch the bleeding. The doctor formed the opinion that Stephen must have been dead any time within a few minutes to an hour. Mrs. Barney was hysterical and overwrought, perhaps. She realized then what she had done. She was frenzied, and she said, he can't be dead. Why don't you do something for him? I love him so. I love him so. And then, although it was not a consecutive story, she was telling, she expressed her feelings in, in spasmodic efforts. She said, it will kill my mother. On another occasion, she said, I cannot live. Let me kill myself. To, pre to prevent any such ideas being put in execution, the doctor thought it desirable to put his foot on the pistol. It was a very painful scene. She clutched the doctor, and when he said that the police must be sent for, she said, don't do that, you must not do that. The doctor tried to calm her, and up to a point succeeded. He said to her, you have got to give me some account of what has happened. 
He will tell you, to the best of his recollection, what it was, she said, during the time they were waiting for the police to be fetched by the doctor's chauffeur. Revolver under cushion. Among other things, she told him they had quarreled and that Michael had said he was going to leave her. And she in her turn, in some ways, indicated that she would commit suicide. Michael, knowing where the pistol was, which had apparently kept loaded in the flat, had picked it up from under the cushion of a chair and said, you don't want to do this. He was leaving the room when she closed with him, wrestled and fought him. They got on to the landing and into the spare room and the revolver went off. They separated at first. She did not know he was hurt. He went into the bathroom. She stayed outside calling and then came, and then came a voice calling, send for the doctor while she was saying these things to the doctor she was wondering she was wandering backwards and forwards between the bedroom and the landing in one of these wanderings the doctor pointed out a mark on the wall near the door where the plaster or the cement beneath the paper had been damaged by a bullet which had ricocheted into the wardrobe the doctor asked was that done this morning she repeated no that was done some time ago. Her explanation about having the revolver was one that at times she was lonely and there were quarrels between them and that on some night before when Stephen had made a disturbance outside and refused to go away, she had snatched up a revolver and fired at random. That was how the marks she explained were caused. You will have to examine the explanation with some care when you come to the position of these marks, said Percival Clark. While this was going on, Mrs. Barney, at a time, hysterical, she went down on her hands and knees and actually kissed the body of the young man, expressing her deep love for him. Sir Percival then told of the calling of the police officer who sent for the divisional surgeon. And when Mrs. Barney saw, she asked, is he dead? And the officer replied, I don't know. Nothing apparently had been done to disturb the position of the body until a photograph was taken. There was found in the left lapel of Stephen's coat, a small hole caused by a bullet. There was blood on the pullover and some spots on the wall at the top of the stairs. That you may not pay attention to because probably Nothing apparently had been done to disturb the position of the body until a photograph was taken, because probably they would be caused by the choke, which was what he, was pro he would probably do before he died. The thing is that Stephen's hands were quite clean. The inspector was called. At 7.30 a.m., Detective Inspector Winter was called. He saw Mrs. Barney on the lounge floor. He went upstairs and saw the dead man in the revolver where it lay. For the purposes of safety and caution, he took it up to see if there were ammunition in it. He found it was a five-chambered revolver and there were five cartridges in, in it, two of which had been fired. But in the revolving chamber, they were not in immediate sequence. They ran in this order, discharged live, discharged live, live. So, 
you remove the live cartridges, having indicated where the middle one had been left. He went into the bedroom, and he will describe to you in detail indeed. You will not require to hear it more than once. The condition in which he found these rooms. He then came into the lounge and saw Mrs. Barney. So the trial is underway. The prosecution is making his opening statements and it is not looking very good for Elvira. So we will see what the defense has to say next time. And I will see you all again real soon.